have you believe the Bible is just another book. Rick Wade declares the Old Testament's unique and transcendent nature here on Probe. In the 1870s, a scholar named George Smith revealed the discovery of both creation and flood stories in ancient Babylonian literature. Bible scholars were soon claiming that the writer of Genesis was merely borrowing from Babylonian mythology. Although competent scholars have since shown that the similarities between these accounts are largely superficial, the idea remains today in certain areas of academia and pop culture that the Bible is just another work of ancient mythology. For all the similarities, there are fundamental differences as well that set the Bible apart. This week I'm going to give some evidence that shows that the Old Testament specifically isn't just another ancient book like others of its time. Before getting into the differences, it would be good to mention just a few similarities. For one thing, there is similarity in the form that religious practice took. Temples, priests, prophets, and sacrifices were a part of the practices of other religions as they were of the Israelites. Old Testament scholar John Oswalt notes, for example, that the layout of the tabernacle and of the temple following is essentially the same as the layout of contemporary Canaanite sanctuaries. Furthermore, the decoration of the temple seems to have been similar to that of Canaanite sanctuaries. There were similarities in law as well. For example, the eye-for-an-eye injunctions in Exodus 21 are similar to some found in the Babylonian Code of Hammurabi. Both include punishments for striking a pregnant woman and causing her to miscarry. Even here, though, there are differences, specifically in the purposes of these two. Old Testament scholar John Walton points out that the ancient codes, or treatises as he calls them, were not rules legislated by authorities. Rather, they were collections of principles, learned over time, assembled to show the worthiness and wisdom of the king in his role of maintaining order in society. This, Walton writes, was the most fundamental expectation of the gods. By contrast, the Old Testament law was an important part of the covenant between God and His people. The laws were, as Walton says, the stipulations of the covenant. More could be said about similarities, but tomorrow we'll turn to the differences between the Old Testament and other literature of the ancient Near East. You've been listening to Probe with your host, Rick Wade. Discover the unique and transcendent nature of the Bible and download Rick's transcript on the Old Testament at probe.org. That's probe.org. And join us next time here on Probe. Today we turn from similarities between the contents of the Old Testament and other ancient texts to the differences between them. Two fundamental differences between the Old Testament and ancient myths are the biblical claims that there is only one true God and that this God is not to be worshipped by means of idols. Israel's neighbors were polytheists or henotheists, meaning they believed there were multiple gods, but they worshipped only one or primarily one. This is why the steward of Joseph's house could speak to Joseph's brothers of your God and the God of your father in Genesis 43, and why Pharaoh could say to Moses and Aaron, go sacrifice to your God within the land in Exodus 8. The Egyptians had their gods, the Hebrews had theirs. The cultural atmosphere of belief in many gods was as normal in that day as the modern secular mentality is in ours. 
By contrast, Yahweh declared there was only one God, and it was Him. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God, Yahweh said. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Isaiah 44 and 45. Further, the true God was not to be worshipped through idols. That was a new idea. Idols were very important to the ancients. They were the actualized presence of deities. The idol received worship on behalf of the god. An example of that worship was providing food for the god by presenting it to the idol. John Walton says that through such expressions, in this way the image mediated the worship from the people to the deity. This entire understanding was declared false by Yahweh. Through Isaiah and Jeremiah, God declared that idols were wood or stone, silver or gold, and nothing more. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, God said through Jeremiah, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion, Jeremiah 10. Through the psalmist, God asked rhetorically, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Psalm 50. Tomorrow I'll talk about another very fundamental difference that sets the Old Testament, indeed all of the Bible, completely apart from all other ancient literature. One of the ways we distinguish the Old Testament from other literature of the ancient Near East is to note the difference between actual history and myth. The stories of the gods in other literature we call mythological. The word myth is often used today to mean false, but it has a much richer meaning than that. In his book, The Bible Among the Myths, John Oswalt gives several definitions of myth which have to do with such things as the definition of the word and sociological and theological factors and more. A central feature of all of them is what Oswald calls continuity. By continuity, he means an actual metaphysical connection between all things. A simple illustration of this principle is the claim, I am one with the tree, not merely symbolically or spiritually, but actually, the tree is me, I am the tree. This continuity included the gods. The differences between nature and the gods were more in degree than in kind. This connection is more than a matter of mere resemblance. Because the pagan gods were understood to be continuous with nature, what happened in nature was thought to be a direct result of the activities of the gods. If the crops didn't grow or the animals didn't reproduce, it must have had something to do with the gods. Moving in the other direction, people hoped to manipulate the gods by engaging in some ritualistic act on the level of nature. So, by retelling and acting out mythical stories of the divine ideal world, a connection was made between humanity and the gods. It was hoped that the outcomes of the mythical accounts would apply to the natural world. This direct continuity between earth and heaven sheds light on such things as temple prostitution and fertility rituals. Through reenactments of the mythological origins of the world, which involve the sexual activities of the gods, people hoped they could inspire the gods to make their crops grow and their animals fertile. By contrast, the Old Testament affirms a basic distinction between nature and Yahweh. Yahweh is transcendent, above and separated in His very nature from the created order, not continuous with it. This distinction marks a fundamental difference between the teachings of the Old Testament and those of ancient myths. 
Tomorrow we'll look at another principle, that of transcendence. Yesterday I talked about the principle of continuity between nature and the divine world of the ancient myths. Events in nature reflected the activities of the gods, and people tried to manipulate the gods by ritualistic acts in the natural world. By contrast, Yahweh was understood to be transcendent, of a wholly different order from nature. This has several very important implications. I'll run through a few. Being transcendent meant God could not be manipulated through rituals the way pagan gods could. Fertility rituals, for example, were meaningless because they had no relation whatsoever to how God created or governed the world. The Israelites engaged in certain ritualistic acts, but they were not for the purpose of making God do what they wanted. In fact, when they became substitutes for godly living, God told them to stop doing it. See Isaiah 1. Here's another difference. Because the various acts of the pagan deities recounted in myths were thought to be eternally recurring, time and space lost their significance. The acts of the gods were timeless. They couldn't be connected to particular moments in history. Thus, the mythological view reduced the significance of the historical. By contrast, in Scripture we see the transcendent God acting in history through specific events and persons. The people of Israel were called not to reenact, but to remember particular events in history. For it was in these things that the transcendent God of the Bible revealed Himself. The transcendence continuity distinction helps explain why idol worship was so strongly condemned in Scripture. It was more than just a matter of worshiping the wrong God. It showed a basic misunderstanding of the nature of God. To engage in idol worship was to give in to the idea of continuity between nature and the divine. This mentality was likely behind the creation of the golden calf by Aaron when Moses was on the mountain. The people had lived in a world where gods could be seen through physical idols. It was natural for them, when wondering where Moses and Yahweh were, to find reassurance in a physical representation of deity. But it was condemned by God. Tomorrow we'll finish up with a few more. Today I want to continue with three more differences between the worldview and religion of the Israelites prescribed in the Old Testament and that seen in other ancient Near Eastern literature. First, the biblical worldview regards humanity highly. In the Old Testament, we read that man and woman were created in God's image. They were the pinnacle of God's creative work. In the pagan myths, mankind was created merely to serve the needs of the lazy and conceited gods. Humans were only good for food and adulation, as John Oswalt says. Second, Yahweh was concerned with people's moral lives. Among other ancient Near Eastern peoples, Oswalt writes, religion was about sacrifice, ritual, ritual purity, prayer, offerings, and the like. Things like this were part of the covenant between Israel and Yahweh, but not the only things and not even the most important. Ethical obedience was and is an important part of our response to God. His people are to tell the truth, to respect other people and their possessions, to keep their marriage bed pure, etc. Similar laws can be found in some other religious codes, but for Israel they weren't just the laws of the land. They were aspects of a relationship with God that were grounded in the character of God. Third, the people of Israel could know if they were pleasing or displeasing Yahweh and why. 
they knew what they were required to do and not do, and they got feedback, typically through the prophets. By contrast, other gods didn't seem concerned to communicate their thoughts or motives to people. When hardships came for no apparent reason, people thought they must have offended the gods, but they couldn't know for sure what they had done or not done. John Walton writes that the minds of the gods were not easily penetrated. By contrast, he says, nothing in the ancient Near East compares to the extent of revelation that Yahweh gives to his people and the depth of relationship that he desires with them. By countering the idea that the Bible is just another example of ancient literature, I have not proved that the Bible's message is true. The point is to clear away an objection that gets in the way of understanding. It provides a space for people to give more thought to the teachings of the Bible. The Bible is then able to speak for itself.